Hi, this is Matt Welsh with Spiritual Media Blog, and today I'm here with Neil Donald Walsh, best-selling author of the Conversations with God series and current author of The Essential Path, Making the Daring Decision to Be Who You Truly Are. Neil, thank you so much for being here with us today. It's wonderful to be with you, Matt. Thanks for the invitation. So to get started, for people who might not be familiar with uh, your new book, The Essential Path, why don't you tell us about it? What's it about? Well, it's, a big, it's about the biggest problem in the world today. And uh, we're seeing evidence of that every time we open uh, the newspaper or turn on the Internet or watch the news on television. The world is really turning into a very challenging place in which to live. And I think, and, and the book talks about why this is happening. The book is, um, makes the point that the biggest problem in the world today is that no one knows what the biggest problem in the world today is. We see the effect of the problem, Matt. We, we, everywhere, everywhere we turn around us, we see the effect of the problem. The effect can be put into one word, alienation. We are seeing a higher level of alienation on our planet, me against you, us against them. You know, we we're turning into an uh, us against them uh, society wherever we look, nation against nation, culture against culture, religion against religion, social group against social group, nationality against nationality. Everybody's against each other all of a sudden. I've never really seen anything like it, but no one knows actually what's causing it. Everyone's... Uh, is trying to uh, solve the problem at every level except the level at which the problem exists. So the book, The Essential Path, talks about the um, the actual problem and offers a solution to the problem. Yeah, and one thing I like about the book is you don't shy away from some of those tougher topics like religion, politics, or social issues. And, you know, I, I don't want to spend the whole conversation talking about politics, but you mentioned it in your book. And, you know, I'm wondering what advice would you have for people who they're afraid to have a conversation about politics or a social issue because they might start a fight or lose a friendship or, you know, even lose their job? I mean, how do they stay true to themselves but be mindful of just how alienating this topic can be? Well, I, I think uh, the trick is to not make anyone else wrong for their point of view. So, And whenever I have a conversation with other people uh, on this topic, I tell them, you know, I have no need to make anybody wrong. Your point of view could be right. Maybe my point of view is wrong. But I think it's, it's probably healthy uh, and useful for us to discuss. I get to share my point of view. You get to share your point of view. And if we can agree uh, to disagree, if in fact we do disagree, who knows? We may we may find ourselves on the same side of the problem. But uh, I don't. I'm not. I don't want to. You know, make anybody wrong about it. I'm just curious. Curious to know number one, what's going on uh, from your point of view, and curious to know number two, what if anything can we do about it? So uh, I notice, Matt, when I have those kinds of conversations with people, nobody is offended. Nobody's going to fire me or release me from my contract or not want to talk to me anymore. Even my friends, you know, are not going to step away from me as long as I am respectful of their point of view. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if I hear you correctly, it's uh, having a, a learning conversation, being open to hearing another person's uh, perspective, you know, without calling them a, a bad person or making them wrong. Yeah, or exactly, and and uh, and and without making them think that I imagine myself to be right, I don't have a need to be right. I just have I have an idea about things, but I have no need to be right. I could be totally wrong. So, but but the only way we can find out how to move forward together uh, as a unified civilization uh, is to talk about it, and so we have to find a way to talk with each other respectfully and honor the point of view held by the other person. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's very, very practical advice. And I mean, honoring the point of the view of the other person that also, you know, reminds me a, a little bit of your title, The Essential Path. 
And I mean, I, I, I read how you define it in the book, but for people who might not know what you mean by that, you know, what do you, what do you mean when you say those, the word, the essential path, what is somebody's essential path? I think it's the uh, pathway that takes us to a full awareness and a total expression of our true identity. The, the challenge for people uh, in the 21st century is that most people don't have any idea who they really are. That is, uh, to, to be specific, are we simply physical creatures? Are we simply physical entities, no different from a dolphin or a whale? or a bird in the sky, or a fish in the sea, maybe more sophisticated, okay, fair enough, maybe more complex, but at the end of the day, uh, nothing more than another form of life, just a mammal. Is that is that basically who we are? We're born, we live, we die, and that's who we were? Or is it possible that there's something more to who we are? Is it possible? And I only ask the question, I don't even know, but is it possible that we might be spiritual entities who have a body and have a mind, but who are more than just a body and a mind, more than just a physical creature. Maybe we are a physical and a spiritual creature. Uh, and if that's true, uh, we have an, an entirely new way of looking at life, an entirely new reason for living our life, and an, an entirely different uh, approach to each other. Because if we're all spiritual creatures, uh, if you are and I am and everyone else is, that puts us into a totally different kind of relationship with each other, which would make it possible for us to live without war, without anger, without uh, fighting, without violence, uh, and without all of the dysfunctional behaviors that we now see across the planet. Right, right. And so what I'm what I'm hearing from you, if I heard you correctly, is you're posing the question that we might be a spiritual being having a physical experience. So we might be part spiritual and part physical. Is that, is that accurate? That's, that's the suggestion. That is the question I'm wondering about. And if, and if, if we are, if there, if we are both spiritual and physical and not merely chemical creatures, but if we are spiritual and physical creatures, as I said a minute ago, that opens an entirely new relationship between us. We have to ask fundamental questions. Why are we here? If I'm a spiritual entity, what am I doing on the earth? What am I doing in this body? And what is my most appropriate and my most beneficial relationship with you and with all other people, whether I agree with them uh, on a certain point or don't? But what is my relationship with them? And, and mo most important of all, perhaps, what is my relationship with this entity that some people call God, or Yahweh, Jehovah, Brahman, uh, uh, you know, a rose by any other name is still a rose, but whatever we call this divine entity, if there even is a divine entity, what is my relationship? What is my right relationship? And I think not knowing what our relationship with each other is, and not knowing who we really are, that is, what is our true identity? What is the true self? Not knowing that is what's causing the problem we're seeing today on the earth, the alienation we spoke about just a moment ago. If we really understood who we really are, and if we really embraced our true identity, in my opinion, we would solve the world's problems very, very quickly. I mean, the world's, the, the challenges we're facing with, with regard to each other. We're not going to stop earthquakes. We're not going to stop tornadoes and tidal waves and, you know, natural events in our environment, but we certainly can stop the antagonistic interactions we are now having with each other, where people drive cars into crowds of other people to kill as many people as they can, or walk into a movie theater, uh, or walk into a, a, a department store with a, you know, an AK-47 semi-automatic rifle and shoot as many people as they can where people turn, even in the area of politics, where we turn our political opponents into demons, we demonize them, we call them horrible names, and we, and we uh, insult them, instead of simply saying, you know, we have a different point of view. Let's see if we can find some middle ground. Yeah, I mean, I, I like how you phrase that. And I, I mean, I like, 
I like that idea and that question of if if again if I hear you it sounds like if we connect to our spiritual being, then that will help solve or at least mitigate some of these social and political problems that we're facing today. Well, because it creates a new context, Matt. It creates a new a new uh, contextual field within which we encounter each other. Yes, yes, I I I agree. I, um, part of part of me is wondering is you know I I get that, and I think a lot of people get that. But I mean, there's also a lot of people out there struggling. I mean, their their basic fundamental needs, like being able to pay their bills, um, you know, have put food on their plate, find find a home to to live in. When they don't have those basic needs met, you know, how do you help them connect with their spiritual being when so much of their physical existence is, is threatened? Well, I, I think that um, we have we have to help not just those people, but the the I think the question is directed toward the wrong segment of our population. What we really have to ask the question is among the people who do have enough, and among the people who have more than enough. For, for instance, uh, it's pretty well known these days that there are about eight people in the United States who uh, earn and hold more wealth and resources than the rest of the country combined. So when we are living in a situation such as that, when we are living in a situation where, you know, uh, we have people and corporations and entities that can solve this problem so that no one needs to go uh, without, so that no one needs to be struggling to put food on the table, so that no one needs to be struggling to to uh, pay afford their rent, much less actually buy a home. See, there's something wrong systemically, Matt. The problem is uh, the system that we have allowed ourselves to create uh, puts wealth in the hands of very few. Even in communities right now, rents are out of sight, yeah. and 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 people who own properties have a lot of money. They have enough money to own more than one house. They might own two or three or five or six. And they're seeking to get as much as they possibly can. Instead of uh, renting their house out at affordable rates, they're renting their house at the highest figure they could possibly get, gouging people who desperately need a place to live, forcing people to turn over two-thirds of their monthly salary just to afford a roof over their head, much less put food on the table. So... We, we've created an economic system and a social and political system that encourages the kind of disparity that you're talking about. But the real question is not what do we say to people who are down and out? What do we say to people who can't put food on the table and are struggling just to keep a roof over their head? The question is what do we say to the people who have more than they could possibly need? What, what do we have to do to change the system in order that the largest number of people can live in safety, security, peace, joy, and happiness. And that shouldn't be difficult in what is purported to be the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And it's not even just about the United States. It should be this way all over the world. We, we live in a, in, on a planet right now where we have the ability, we have the uh, technological ability, and, and, and we have the physical ability to create a situation where no one should have to suffer and struggle and stress and strain in the way you're talking about. And by the way, I know a little bit about that. Let me just share with you real briefly. You may know my background. Yeah. I spent a year of my life living on the road, living on the street, living outside. I did not have a roof over my head. I did, I did manage to have a tent. That's all I had to my name was a little tent. And I slept in my tent every night and I walked the streets. I had no income. I had no livelihood. I had no money, not a, not a penny to my name. I had to ask people on the sidewalk if they could spare a few change, a few coins, a, a little change, uh, and if they could help me out. And I lived that way not for a couple of weeks or a bad month or a bad season. I lived that way for an entire year of my life. So I know what it's like I, when you talk about people who can't put food on the table and can't keep a roof over their head. I've been there. I've done that. I know exactly what that is about. I, and I, I thank you for sharing that. I, I mean, I, I have read your your books and watched your movie, and I, I appreciate you bringing that up. I mean, I, 
I'm, what helped you? I mean, during that time, what helped you connect to your spiritual being um, or your essential path during some of those difficult times? I had to look at what was really important, Matt. I had to really take a close look at what is really important to me as a human being and as a spiritual entity. I, what, what helped me was, was rearranging my own ideas, rearranging my own thoughts about who I am and why I'm here, why I'm here on the earth. Even if I had a day where I ate very little because I only had maybe a dollar fifty for the entire day uh, to, to live on. So maybe I could afford to buy a small bag of french fries uh, and that was about it. Uh, so there, And there were many days like that. But what I had to do was find a way to be quiet with myself and begin to focus my mental energies and my spiritual uh, energies on the larger question. Why am I on the earth? And is, is there any way I can achieve my agenda without having to worry about you know, putting a roof over my head or even food on, on a plate? What, what, what is, you know, and what is my larger agenda? And that uh, result, the result of those uh, attempts by me to come to clarity about that produced a level of awareness uh, within me that allowed me to find the strength to go on. I realized, and I'm going to say something a little bit daring right now, Matt, but I'm going to say it anyway. Sure. Uh, I realized that even if I died, even if I my life ended because I starved to death, or because I you know was uh, became ill because I was living outside during the winter and I came down with with pneumonia or whatever it might be, even if my circumstance caused me to lose my physical life, I came to understand that my intention, my reason for being on the earth, had nothing to do in the end with my physical life, but rather with my spiritual life, with my metaphysical life and I, re and I came to know that I can't die I'm not going to die I will live forever and ever that my life will go on but I may change the form in which I live I may no longer be with this particular body and I may leave this particular moment in time but I can reincarnate and come back in a different form at a different uh, time uh, and continue the journey of my soul as I began to pay attention to the journey and the agenda of the soul, interesting things began to happen, and the peace that was projected from me began to affect the circumstances around me and producing different outcomes in my life. Yeah, I think that's really well said. I mean, it, it sounds like for you, I mean, finding, I like that word, your agenda, and in your book you talk about your soul agenda, so it sounds like what you're saying is to find a, a, the, the deeper purpose for your life when you're, in, when you're in those situations. Yes, and you know, when you, when you do find that deeper purpose, suddenly, even the simple task of getting enough food to eat seems endurable. We, we find the strength to do what we have to do uh, without hurting or damaging anybody else. Uh, even if it means uh, asking people for help, uh, which I never thought I would have the courage or the strength to do, to literally walk down the street and say to total strangers, if you could give me 50 cents or even a quarter, it could make all the difference to me. Because if I can get a quarter from 10 or 15 or 20 people, I can actually put some food in my stomach today. And, you know, I found out that most people, not all people, but most people are really very compassionate and really very nice and very, and, and very generous. And when, when I ask them in the right way, you know, more people than not would reach into their pocket and say, here, and they would give you a quarter or a half a dollar or even of some paper money, even a dollar or a five dollar bill. And uh, I, I found it was possible to uh, move through my life in that way and even possible, believe it or not, to share with others who had even less, they collected less that day on the street than I did. Mm -hmm. And as I began to shift my energy uh, and uh, change the way I lived my life, uh, it, it altered what was coming to me because I realized that what goes through me and projects outward into the world produces what comes to me. It's a circle. Everything is circular. Yeah, I... Um... I really appreciate you sharing that about uh, your own personal life. Um, that is 
that is pretty inspiring to hear that and really helpful. Um, I, I'd like to go back a little bit earlier to what you were talking about. You had mentioned it's not so much helping people who are down and out, but helping people who have the means shift to their spiritual being or their soul agenda. And I'm wondering, you know, how, how can we do that? I mean, because, you know, on one hand, it might be easier for them because they do have the the material means. But on the other hand, I mean, how can we get them to shift into a spiritual perspective or connect with their spiritual meaning when they may be so focused on the accumulation of their own wealth? Well, I think the question is uh, to wake them up. And what wakes people up uh, is when they see uh, an example and when they begin to feel um, a larger truth than the one that they are currently following. So what, what we're talking about here is uh, awakening the species. I, my, you know, my book is one way to do it. You know, I, that's why I write the books that I write. And the, the books have touched millions of people around the world. I was invited to go to Paris about three, three or four weeks ago and uh, to give a talk, an evening lecture. And there were 2,273 people in the audience. That's almost 3,000 people. I mean, I'm sorry, almost 2,300 people uh, in the audience. Uh, and many of them were well-to-do. They had enough money to afford the ticket and to have an evening out. They probably had dinner before the lecture or maybe afterward. So they, so they, you know, they, they were people of means. And I was able to share the message with them, as I am able to do in the books that I've written as well. So it's a matter of, of uh, number one, putting the, putting the ideas into the arena of thoughts, uh, as I've done in my book, The Essential Path, uh, where I make the argument that if we don't take the essential path, if those who have enough uh, income, those who have enough of all they need in life to be happy, enough security, enough companionship, enough love, enough of all the things that we all desire, if we, if we can talk to those people and say, no, no, wait a minute, how does this fit into your overall idea about life itself? And at one level, do you feel uh, a desire, an innermost calling to move into a place where you could be of some assistance to those who have less? And where we can convince those in political power to develop methods by which our governing institutions, not just the government in the United States, but our government governing institutions all around the world, can generate outcomes and produce assistance. Let me just give you one simple example. Now, there are some candidates now for public office yeah. and running for president of the United States that are calling for things like uh, you know, healthcare for all, or free college tuition. It's interesting because in the United States, it sounds like you know a horrible to, to some people. It sounds like a horrible idea. What are you talking about? Free college tuition, healthcare for all. But you know what? There are many countries in the world: Norway, Sweden, Denmark, many many countries where this is exactly what happens. In Germany, you don't pay for a college education; you simply go and get it. And it's given to you by the country itself. And how's, how can the country do that? By taxing the wealthy. And the wealthy are willing, willing to be taxed sufficiently to provide those kinds of opportunities to allow society to regenerate itself and to take care of itself and to care for those who have less so that no one should have to avoid having a surgical procedure that they really need. No one should have to find it uh, impossible to afford their insulin shots. No one should have to go without basic health care because they can't afford their insurance or they can't afford the copay or they can't afford the premiums. This is, you know, just to use one example, health care should be a basic human right. But no, no, we want to have eight people hold more wealth and resources than the entire country combined. If we, if we merely ask them to give us two cents of every dollar, two cents of every dollar that they earn above $50 million a year would solve all the problems I'm telling you about. But no, it's too much to ask. When we talk about raising taxes on the rich and, and, and asking for two cents of every dollar, if you make more than $50 million a year, 
Not if you make less, but if you make more than $15 million a year, we ask for two cents of every dollar. And it's, it's, we, we can't believe that the, we even have the nerve to ask that. You know what? I would willingly give that. I would willingly pay double the taxes that I currently pay if I thought it could help people who, once, who are in a place where I once was, living on the sidewalk, living on the street, living day to day, hoping that I can get enough quarters in my hand to buy a bag of French fries. Yeah, and I mean, Neil, I, I I appreciate you for speaking out on political issues. It's not something that a lot of spiritual teachers do. I mean, there's some out there that are doing it more now. Um, but to kind of, you know, to, to play, I guess you'd say devil's advocate, I mean, how would you respond to people on the other side of that that might say um, – you know we're we're enabling people like if we if we do that that's not going to help them that's just going to get them more dependent upon government um and some of those more like conservative um arguments i would say to them it's clear to me that you've never had the experience yeah. when i was when i was living on the street i wasn't there by choice I wasn't, you know, there because I didn't want to find a way out of the situation in which I found myself. So if 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 you really think that you're enabling people, uh, why don't people in Norway and Denmark and Sweden feel that way? What is it, a peculiarly American way of thinking? Why, why is health care for all such an obvious thing to do in other countries of the world? And, and, and why are we so stubborn about it that we can't see ourselves doing what people in, elsewhere on the planet have done without any quarrel or without any argument? Because they realize that, wait a minute, human life is sacred and no one should have to suffer. And, and I agree, I agree that there are some people who might take advantage of this system, but I've been out there on the road. I've been out there on the sidewalk. I lived on, uh, outside for a year of my life. And I can tell you that 80 to 90% of the people who are there don't want to be there. They can't, even, they can't even lift themselves out of that mess because they can't even afford the car fare. They can't even afford to put 50 cents into the bus box to get to take the bus to their next job interview because they don't have the 50 cents. And that's a real story from my life. I had a job interview, but it was 22 miles away, and I didn't have the dollar and a quarter that it cost to take a bus to the bus to, uh, to the job interview. So I went out there, and I tried to hitchhike, and no one would pick me up. And so then now when somebody who's making $15 million a year says, well, we're just enabling you, we're just enabling you by giving you, you know, it's like, I see, I see, you clearly have never been where I am now. If you have been where I am now, you wouldn't have those ideas. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I I appreciate. I mean, you're not shying away from some of these really tough issues, and I I really do appreciate you sharing your personal story. I mean, that's something that um, I think is very powerful um, and adds a lot of um, just meaning and life to these these issues and these points that you're making. Um, well, yeah, well let, let, Matt, Matt, let me answer. I mean, let me say one more thing, if I might, to take advantage of the yeah. fact that you're giving me a little bit of time here. Let me say one more thing. We have to make a basic decision as a species. Who are we as a species? Are we as a species who cares for our young and who cares for those among us who are down and out? Are we as a species uh, um, such a culture that we really, really uh, when we have more than enough, more than actually more than more than enough, twice more than anybody would need, are we really simply the kind of species that says, you know what, there are a lot of people who are suffering, and there are a lot of people who are suffering for, through no fault of their own, but I'm, I'm, we're not going to help them. You know, it's it, it's it's socialism. We're not going to do what 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 is being done in Denmark and in Norway and in Sweden and other Scandinavian countries. We're not going to offer free college tuition as they do in Germany. We're not going to, we're not, you know, we're not going to do those things because we're not going to enable someone else to get a leg up and get a new start in life. Now, we have to decide, Matt, who are we as a species? And what is our, 
relationship with each other. As long as we see each other as separate entities, you're over there and I'm over here. I have nothing to do with you and you have nothing to do with me. We're separate entities. As long as we see each other in that way, we could hold the points of view that you are describing. But, you know, I wouldn't let anybody in my own family suffer that way. Not even a, a, a niece or a nephew or a, a, a cousin in my family. If they were literally starving on the sidewalk, I surely would give them a little help. Even if I thought I was enabling them, I wouldn't let them sit there and starve to death because they're members of my family. The problem we have on the earth is we don't consider other people the members of our family. If their skin color is different, if their accent is different, if their religion is different, if their, if their nationality is different, they are other than us. And they don't have any position in our lives to hope that we would give them any kind of help. Oh my goodness. Who are we as a species? Are we an evolved, enlightened species? Or are we still living in an era where what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, and I, I have nothing to do with you, and if you're right in front of me suffering, I'm not going to do anything about it because I don't want to enable you. I mean, really. Uh, yeah, I, I... Let, let, me, let, me, let me point out something, because this is interesting. There are, as we are talking right now, Matt, in this very moment, there are one point five billion people on the earth who do not have any drinking water that's pure and clean. They have to drink out of out of the rivers and streams. They have no clean, not one drop of pure water. 1.7 billion people, as we're talking right now, do not even have electricity. Still, in this part of the, of the uh, 21st century, no electricity. And 2.5 billion people, as we're talking right now, do not have indoor plumbing. They're relieving themselves outside. Now, you might say, well, those are just inconveniences, Neil. I mean, it's not you know, a pretty picture, but they're inconveniences. It's not really critical, really, except that the, over hundreds of thousands of people die every year of, the, of health issues dysentery and many other health issues that would, they would never have to die from if they simply had clean water to drink at a place where they can relieve themselves in a sanitary fashion. But you know, it's not our fault. It's not our fault that 2.5 billion people, that's almost one quarter of the human race, do not have indoor plumbing. Let me explain something. We live on a planet right now where 653 children, remember that number, 653 children die on this planet of starvation every single hour. Wow. And we call ourselves an advanced species? Yeah, I mean those are some that's pretty that's pretty telling and pretty scary to think about. So the question is, you know, what if anything could any of us do about that? Obviously, there's no single individual, nor is there even a small group of individuals that can solve all of those problems. But we can discuss them, talk about them, and work together with larger groups and even larger and larger still in political parties, in religious organizations, in spiritual movements, that we can say, okay, enough is enough. I mean, really, enough is enough. There's no reason, with all the abundance that does flow on this planet, for conditions such as those I've just described to exist, not in an advanced, evolved civilization. We declare ourselves to be evolved, but we are really uncivilized. It's still a primitive species if we are going to allow 653 children to die of starvation every hour. That says something about us. Nobody wants to hear numbers like that. Nobody wants to hear statistics. Oh, Neil, Neil, be quiet. Let's talk about the Yankees and the Dodgers in the World Series. This is really important stuff. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I appreciate you taking a stand and pointing out some of these uh, statistics. It's just not uh, – you don't always hear it from the like spiritual authors or self-help um, authors, but I, I it's it's – very refreshing to hear someone like yourself taking a stand on some of these issues. Um, 
someone else who's done that too is is Marian Williamson. She actually wrote a blurb for your book. I mean, what do you, what do you think about her as a presidential candidate, and what do you think about some of the reaction that that she's gotten from the mainstream media? Well, actually, the mainstream media is starting to turn around. She's gotten some very in the past several weeks. She's gotten some very powerful uh, commentaries from the mainstream media. Not everyone in the mainstream media is is uh, is has negative things to say. They said that you know she she she's what she has said is resonating with many people. But whether it resonates or not, I, I think it's not the not the, the issue. The issue is is she saying something that can add value to the larger conversation? As she said herself in the recent debate, we have to get past yada, 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 all the yada, yada, yada stuff that all the politicians are saying and ask ourselves some fundamental questions. Who are we as a civilization? Who are we as a species? At what level are we willing to change the demonstration? What, you know, can we have a, 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 a simple conversation about just, just to use one example, what is so horrible about asking people to have a background check before they buy a rapid-fire AK-47 weapon, a weapon of war? We, we can't even ask them to go through a background check? What is so horrible about that? Well, how does that stop us from exercising our freedom? So I think Marianne Williamson is asking some important questions about all of these issues, and I'm glad she has put her voice before the American people to allow us to think of things in a different way. Yeah, I, I I find I find her to be very compelling, and you know I, I wasn't I wasn't going to ask this, but then when you brought up the um, the the gun control i mean that just i'm immediately thinking of the recent um very tragic mass shootings i mean what is i mean what is your response to that within the the context of of your book and everything you you believe and talk about we have to uh have a multi-pronged approach it's not about condemning anyone it's about understanding what is the pain that's causing these kinds of behaviors? If I was president of the United States, I would be saying on on public uh, television and in the, in the news media, I would be I'd, I'd be having a conference. I'd be calling a nationwide conference of people, and, and not just the rich and the wealthy, not just the well-to-do and the influential. I would probably also have a, a conference twice a year. With homeless people, I would actually bring homeless people and people who are down and out to the White House for a conference, and I would talk. I would also uh, sit down and talk with uh, everyone who has been uh, captured and caught after such a horrific crime. Who, who have we? We put them in jail for you know for life because they they were shooting and killing people. And I would say to those people, "What hurts you so much?" that you, fe- you felt you had to hurt others in order to heal it. And I would get to the core of the problem. And I would start to look deeply at what is creating the behaviors that we are seeing, the mass shootings and the other kinds of behaviors uh, that we are observing. People driving automobiles, as I mentioned earlier, into crowds of other people to see how many they can take out. Or or other less violent, but every bit as virulent forms of alienation. I talked at the beginning of our conversation, Matt, that we are suffering from a level of alienation. What is causing that alienation? I want to sit down and talk to one of those people who who walked into a a crowded place with with a submachine gun and and started shooting people uh, right and left. I want to sit down and I want to talk to those people. Now, now you know, it's easy to say, well, they, they're, they're, they're suffering from mental illness. But that's not, that's true at some level, but the entire society is suffering from a, a particular form of mental illness that stops us from finding a solution to, the, to these issues and to these problems. So I think that it is possible 
for us to, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged. By, in the book, I write, uh, I tell the anecdote of the Pope who uh, actually went to the jail cell of the man who tried to assassinate him. This was John Paul, Pope John yeah. Paul. And he went to the jail cell of the man who shot him six times in an effort to kill him. And he gave the man his papal blessing. Wow. But he, but he, but, but I'm sure he had a long conversation with the man. And I'm sure he asked him, what would cause you to want to pick a gun up and shoot at me six times? What 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 is it that you believe that would invite such a behavior, and what if anything could all of us in the world do to change our ideas about each other and our ideas our ideas about ourselves? What has occurred on the earth, not just in the United States but all over the world? What has occurred all over the world to cause people to feel? so deeply angry with and alienated from each other. Something is up. Something is happening. Somebody tell me what it is. We live in a culture of violence. As President Trump said just recently, we have created a culture of violence on our planet. He, he mentioned video games, video games that teach children at the age of 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, and 18, you know, that, that it's a game to kill other people, and they, and they learn that this is the way. They learn from this form of entertainment, video games for young people. They learn that, well, in the game, they just pick up a submachine gun and shoot everybody. So why wouldn't you do it in real life? And, and the game manufacturers want to say, well, there's no correlation. You're making much ado about nothing. <laughs> really? Really? Even President Trump <laughs> right. makes the point that you cannot create a culture of violence from the time children are four, eight, and ten years old and expect outcomes that are different from those that we are seeing being made manifest on our planet today. And I praise the president for making that point because, in my view, he's absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah. It's and not just video games, but films, motion pictures, television programs, violence, violence, violence everywhere. And then you wonder why we live in why we live in a world where, where every every place I'm sorry where every time we turn around we see something violent occurring. I yeah I agree. I mean you I mean I absolutely agree hundred percent. I mean um, you you th so you think you think the media like the media the the video games the movies the films the TVs they're uh, they're obviously contributing to some of this alienation and violence that we're seeing well they've created a culture of violence yeah. they're, 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 they're depicting behaviors that are exciting to watch if we just watch it as a story right but, but, but people are beginning to emulate those behaviors yeah I know it's uh, it's pretty scary and sad I mean that's why um, well this is a bit of a tangent but that's one one of the reasons why I really like what Stephen Simon did with spiritual cinema circle and creating a, an alternative to that for some of these people um, to create those sort of movies. Um, but it, anyways, to get back to what we were talking about, I mean, you've been, you've been very passionate about your convictions about some very controversial and, and political and social issues. I'm just wondering what, what has been the reaction that you've gotten when you speak on these issues to people um, or just through email or other interviews you've done? Standing ovations. Hardly no one disagrees with me. <laughs> I, I get standing ovations when I make the point, the same point that the president made. We have created a culture of violence, and we've used every means of communication we can devise with which to send violent images, violent stories, and violent ideas to the world at large. Turn on your television one night. I dare you to watch television from 8 o'clock until 10 o'clock at night and not see violence in some form right in front of you on your home television set. But in the 1950s, that wasn't true. When I was a child in 1943, that wasn't true. Something has happened in the past 50 or 60 years that has allowed us to cause images of violence to be pervasive. And, and our images of ourselves have changed dramatically as a result of it. But there's something larger at play here, which is the point I make in The Essential Path, the book we're talking about. 
we see we insist on accepting the notion that we are separate from each other that, that there's no connection between us I'm over here and you're over there we would never behave toward other people if we thought that we and they were one that, that we were that we will at the very least that we all belong to the same family so what we need to do is change our cultural story the time is ripe for a new cultural story to be written by the peoples of the earth and that will happen when enough of us have had enough of this yeah that's a that's a really powerful message and one of the one of the last things i'd like to talk a little bit about is in the book towards the end you talk a little bit about self-realization and i just i i like that topic so just wondering what are your thoughts on self-realization and how that is related to some of these issues well, when we realize who we self-realization is a phrase that talks about realizing, coming to understand, and then coming to embrace and to act as if we really were who we truly are. That is, that we are individuations of the divine, that we are singularizations of the singularity, that who we really are are spiritual entities having a physical experience, that we're here for a particular reason. The reason we're here is not about get the guy, get the girl, get the car, get the job, get the house, get the spouse, get the kids, get the better job, get the better house, get the better car, get the better spouse, get the better spouse, get the better spouse, get the better spouse. The better spouse. <laughs> see, see, this is not, that's not why we're here. And, and so when we're talking about you know, this, this evolutionary process that you, you just mentioned, but when we talk about this whole experience that humanity is having, the experience of itself, we're talking about taking a real deep look at what is our true nature? What is our true identity? And why are we really here? Is it possible that we do live after what we call death? If that's true, what does what we're doing during our life have to do with the experience we have after death? And do we imagine that there is a God in heaven who is punishing us? And who sends us to everlasting damnation? What is the whole process all about? These are questions that we are not asking ourselves as a civilization. But I think we have the opportunity to move into the healing of that condition in the years ahead. When enough of us have had enough of this. Yeah, that's that's well said. And I mean, we've... Uh... We've covered a lot of ground tonight, Neil. Is there anything that we didn't talk about um, or cover that that you feel like is important for people to know? Well, I've, I've you know I've been asked, as you know, I wrote a book called Conversations with God. Yeah. And, and uh, I wrote several books under that uh, a series of books under that title, Conversations with God, Book One, Book Two, Book Three, Book Four, and so forth. And people have asked me, really, all around the world, wherever I go. What is the most important single message that you received uh, in the Conversations with God books? And I tell them, well, that's easy. I can give you that in one sentence. Your life is not about you. It's about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. When I asked God why my life wasn't working, I said to God, why isn't my life working? What does it take to make life work? The answer I got was it's really very simple. Neil, you think your life is about you. But your life is not about you. It's about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. When you're clear about that, your whole life will change. And then in that sense, in that larger sense, your life is about you. But the process is totally different from the process as you currently understand it. So if I if I hear that, it sounds like what you're saying is our our lives are really they're about more more than us. It's about really making an impact in other people's lives, and and when we do that, we really can make it make a true impact. Is that is that what did I hear that correctly? Well, and when we do that, we make a true impact in our own life because what goes around comes around. I got it. And so, and, so, and so in the larger sense, in the metaphysical sense, your life really is about you. But the process by which we become 
the, uh, able to experience the grandest part of ourselves and the most joy and happiness in life is a, a, a different uh, process than we imagine it is. It's not about getting, 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 getting. It's about giving, 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 giving. Because what you, what you give out ultimately comes back to you. So we, we change our idea about the whole process of life and, and how it works. And, and that's what we're invited to do in the conversations with God material, to change your idea about how life really works. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really, that's wonderful. That's really, really well said. Um, and if people um, want to get a copy of The Essential Path, where's uh, the best place to get a copy of the book? Any online bookstore uh, will will sell it to you. You can get it in, in, in minutes and have it in your house in 48 hours or less. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's available at Amazon, obviously, Barnes and & Noble, and, 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 and many brick-and-mortar bookstores as well, actual bookstores, you know, on the street corner. There are such things in a few cities left, <laughs> and and but you can you can get the book virtually anywhere. But you can get online right now, and and have the book in your house in, in forty eight hours. The book is called The Essential Path. That's great. Well, Neil, I I really appreciate your your passion, your conviction, and your your insight, and really want to thank you uh, for being here with us tonight. Um, any, any last words for our listeners? I think that the uh, final word I would say is allow yourself to notice who you are and why you're really here. Ask yourself four questions every morning. Who am I? Where am I? Why am I where I am? And what do I intend to do about that? And then follow the impulse that arises when you hear within you the answer to those four questions. Who am I? Where am I? Why am I where I am? And what do I intend to do about that? You know, never underestimate the power of a single individual. Nothing has been, ever been more powerful in changing the world than a few souls who decided that that is what they intend and choose to do. All the armies in the world cannot stop an idea whose time has come, is the way Victor Hugo put it, and he was absolutely correct. So it's time to write a new cultural story, and we all can begin writing that story. My final word would be, by living the story, each of us individually, and becoming an exemplar, becoming a model. When you model the behavior that you wish everyone else would demonstrate, then you become a change agent of enormous power within the circles in which you find yourself, at work, in your environment, in your neighborhood, in your family. So as Gandhi put it beautifully several years ago, be the change you wish to see. That's excellent. Well, Neil, again, thank you very much for being here with us tonight. And uh, we really appreciate your time and insights. Thank you for the opportunity, Matt. I've enjoyed sharing these moments with you. Great.